every single person, no matter what your career is, no matter what, you know, role you have as far as your job, no matter where you are in your career, starting off, maybe you're, you know, you've been doing what you've been doing for a long time. I think that it's always important to keep in perspective that at different times in your life, you need different things. Welcome to the Art Shift Podcast. I'm Brittany. And I'm Andrew. We're glad you're here with us today. Thanks for joining the show. Yes, thank you for thank you for being here. And if you're following along on YouTube, there is a video component to this, so you know, don't We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we apologize ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I I think we are presentable today. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think we're good. Yeah. We're good shape. We're today. surrounded by cameras and lighting and, um, feels completely it normal. feels completely normal. <laughs> Just like another conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. How so, are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Not bad. Yeah. You know, oh. some days are better than others, but I'm excited about today's topic though. You are. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound <laughs> like it. What is today's topic? <laughs> <laughs> Well, today we're going to be talking, as the uh, the whole name, the art shift, alludes to. We're going to be talking about the relationship between life, like real life, art, and like what it means to shift in your life and in your work, and like how the two are interconnected. I think that's an interesting conversation to have. I think so. Well, the actual premise of the name, the art shift, it wasn't just, oh, you know, what can we think of for a title for this platform? Um, we, I f- we felt like the name was very fitting because shift relates to the work that you do, um, as in like your actual quote work shift. But not only that, it's also related to um, kind of the shifting nature of art and being a creator and moving between mediums and ideas and really being fluid about um, how you're working, how you're thinking and kind of moving in and out between like ideas and uh, modes of working and this podcast is for all kinds of creators i just want to go ahead and throw that out there not just not just fine artists if you are a creator as a hobby what have you like we're going to be touching on a lot of topics that i really feel like are relevant in kind of breaking down those boundary lines um and reaching more people I think especially something that we've noticed being here in berlin and i think it's like kind of a new culture shift is you're seeing people not doing one thing anymore. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I feel like a lot of times it used to be you did something, you did it for 30 years, and that's what you did, and then you retired. And I think most people nowadays, they have different interests. They have multiple things that they want to do. You know, we were somewhere the other day, we were at an event, and there's a guy who's like working in the business environment, but then on the side, he does like music festivals and he's over there doing a DJ. Yeah, thing. he's mixing. Yeah. And I think that's like, a, that's a really cool concept. It's yeah. really, you know, it's a really cool concept to see somebody who's like business minded and creative minded and, and, and balancing that in your, like your life and your professional work. I think that's, that's really interesting to me. And 
And, you know, me coming from a fine art background and you coming from like a creative professional background in business, um, I think this whole podcast, this premise is to really kind of engage in a conversation that kind of brings together everyone, no matter where, you know, what you went to school for, no matter, you know, what, what your expertise is, it's to kind of bridge those gaps um, and to have a larger conversation that's actually bridging the conversation between art, life, um, and what it means to shift back and forth between the two. Because when you are creative, mm. those ideas, those things are very much intertwined um, in what you do and how you see the world. And so, I mean, I mean, for us, it's just a really important way to look at the conversation. Yeah, I think it's... I'm really interested, as you mentioned, I have both of a creative and a business background. I am very interested in erasing those lines because I think a lot of the times it's re- really easy to draw these defined, you know, lines in the sand between, well, you do this and I do that. And it's almost like you can't share that. And I think that in a lot of ways, why can't we all get along? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, you make it sound like that, but really, um, you know, I'm a freelancer, but I'm also have a background in fine art. And I find that oftentimes, um, and, and you are like, just basically, you know, you've been in business, but like you're, you've been like working in a creative outlet to a, like to that capacity for years. And that's just always been part of, you know, who you are and what you do. But I find that people like oftentimes like judge somebody in the other side of another segment of the spectrum very, very quickly. And we're all at the end of the day, we're all having the same conversation. Yeah. Especially when you're starting to dip your toe into different things, because I think it's very easy for people to like be possessive about what it is they do. You know, and then you start to kind of like, like if you're interested in, if you have a business background, but like maybe you're interested in writing, which that's my, I love writing. I love creative writing. I love copywriting. Like that's, that's what I really love to do. But then I'm also, obviously we're interested in podcasting, interested in the voice platform and I'm interested in other things. And it's, it's a very humbling experience when you maybe are like have years of experience doing something else and then you start doing something new And then other people who've had years of experience doing that thing that you want to experiment in, Mm. it's not always like a welcoming environment when you network with people. It's, it's interesting, you know, I I think, I think you're hitting on something really huge right now is that it's not just other people. It's just, it's unknown territory, even for the person working and, and, and going from shifting from one thing to another. I mean, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of, you know, that's basically an experiment when you go from shifting between one job, one medium, an idea, a concept, when you go and make a shift in your work or your life, there's a larger impact that happens and that's just part of it. And honestly, that's part about the, that's a huge aspect of the creative process that I mean, ties us all together. Right. Is that shifting between mediums, shifting between ideas, shifting between workflows and processes. That is, it's like an enormous part about being an artist and and being creative in general. I I think you hit on something that I've been learning very extensively over the last few weeks and months, which has been 
if you are more of a, I wouldn't even just call it business background. If you just have like more of a practical, you're kind of a get the job done kind of person, you have more a methodical workflow about how you execute things. And then when you start to be more creative and you're relying on creativity as your output, it's different. It's like you get it. I know for me, I get impatient. I'm like, well, it should have happened faster. It should be better. And you don't realize that there are layers and there's like a time where you get in and a time where you step out and like letting something sit and marinate and then coming back to it. Like that's really hard for somebody that has more of like a practical mindset of executing or like a logical yeah, absolutely. Point of view. Yeah. Welcome to the creative process. <laughs> Can I get out somehow? Yeah. <laughs> Often, yeah, that's the feeling you yeah. get. It's it's hard. But I, I really like the um I really think though that that it's a really great point though, because I think there's so many people that they're interested in maybe jumping over to a new sphere of working, but they're kind of scared to do it because they have to start over. And like, that's intimidating, you know? Well, not only that, like once you're in it, um, I mean, there's nothing really binding you to it. I think that's something Mm. to talk about. Like anytime that you try something new, I always approach that as an experiment to start off with, you know, sometimes, yes, I am the person that's like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go into that new thing and I've never done it before. And then I get in there and I'm like, oh God, it's messy. (laughs) (laughs) this is um but this is what you said you wanted yeah (laughs) (laughs) no but when you start to cross lines and you go into new mediums or new modes of working it's not all you know flowers and roses and and um sunshine it's really not it's really um you're you're in a vulnerable place and it takes a lot of bravery. It takes you being bold in order to, um, not only start to experiment in that place, but then also kind of start to work in that realm and share what you're doing with other people. And that's actually the kind of the premise of this show. I mean, feeling like you needed something like you need a shift in your life or your career. And that's actually really what the art shift is about. I mean, for us, starting this platform was, you know, it, I mean, there are layers. There are so many layers to it. And maybe we'll kind of unpack that as time goes on on the show. But I really do kind of feel like every single person, no matter what your career is, no matter what, you know, role you have as far as your job, for being a professional, what have you, no matter where you are in your career, starting off, maybe you're you know, we've been doing what you've been doing for a long time. I think that it's always um, important to keep in perspective that at different times in your life, you need different things. Yeah. And, you know, creatively and just in relation to your life. And that's really important to, it's just really important to keep an open mind with respect to that because art, art and life are they're very intertwined. It's a very intimate relationship. And when you work as an artist or as a creative, um, oftentimes like you have to have, you have to find that balance for yourself, no matter what that looks like. Yeah. And I think you hit on something that's really true. There's no way in one podcast. I think that's, I think you illustrate a point about life and art though, and life and creativity 
is that there's no way in one podcast we could get into the fact of like why we're doing something or why we've made the shift that we're, we should have made in our own individual lives and then we're kind of making together in a, in a way too because there's a lot of reasons why we've both started to do different things. And I, I think that's the point of the podcast is to be able to unpack some of that for our own selves, but really to be able to speak to other artists who are going through a lot of the same things. Like, and as an artist or as a creative, you start to do the same stuff. Like you, you're in your life, you change. The way you think changes, the way you approach your professional life changes and the way you approach your personal life, it changes. And because of that, it affects the actual work output. And I do think one other thing that you said that I, I thought it's worth mentioning as well is, is like when you jump into a new space, I think mindset is like the most important thing. Absolutely. Because for me, like when you're jumping into a new space, you are new and, and it, is, it is a humbling experience. But if you go into it knowing I'm going to be humbled, it's an experiment, I don't need to be perfect starting off, I just need to be doing it. It's totally different than if you go into it and you say, I need to be perfect. I should expect to be a professional the way somebody else has been doing this for 10 years has been doing it. Well, yeah, you're going to disappoint yourself. I can say as an artist, we have really unrealistic expectations <laughs> with respect to that. It's because as an artist, you, and you know this as well, is that you can do so many things and you have so many skill sets. And um, mm. when you're a creative person, often you pick up on skills very easily and it's really easy to say like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to knock this out in four hours. And then two weeks later, you get it. <laughs> you yeah, right, right, yeah. Or five years later, you know, you're at that place you want to be. But I think as a creative person, like we're oftentimes like, it, it's like, is it short-sighted? Mm -hmm. You know, you have like that short-sighted vision that you like think this is going to take that long or you think oh, you know, skills are interchangeable, like processes are very similar and you, and you don't really... That it's like the matrix. They plug into your head a USB that says, you should know how to do this now, you know, like, and you just start... <laughs> right, it's like that. That would be That's awesome. the expectation. Yeah, right? that you would know? be awesome. That's actually not how it is. It's too bad, though. I know. Maybe one day in the future. Yeah, in but I, I think that is... Potentially, that is possible. Right. Although I don't think we'll be available for that upgrade. We <laughs> don't have the right USB ports or... Yeah, it's like Apple. They'll change the port out. You need a dongle for it, you know? Oh, we'll need a dongle. <laughs> you won't have it. You might need yet. a few dongles. Yeah, exactly. No, but I think, I think you're right. And I think like, um, I think more than anything though, all of this stuff really does illustrate like how your life plays into the work that you do. And I think that... Um, you know, it's, it's funny, like the way I think about it is a lot of the changes that happen in your own professional life are not driven simply because of your professional life. They're driven because of your real life and your personal life. And maybe you're the way you look at yourself, your own identity, you know, the, that changes the way that you want to work. It changes maybe the work that you actually do. And I just, I find that more, because I think there is such an overlap between, because we talk about like business people and creatives and artists, and really we're all just, and it sounds really cliche, we're all just people, but we have all of these actually different interests. And we've had, I think in a lot of ways, society has made us feel that you have to be in one group or the other. And sometimes when you start to float into that other group, it's like, oh, hey, hey, you don't, you're not in this group. You know, it's, mm. it's like a click. Yeah. And it's like really trying to start, well, 
why, why are we not all helping each other? Why are we not collaborating? And like, why, are, why is it so such to a, a degree where if you're an artist, like, why don't we take the other side of it? An artist who doesn't know anything about business, you know, an, an artist wants to get involved on the business side of the world because they want to sell their art without having to deal with an art dealer. They want to do something that's maybe different from a creative side, you know, you would hope that business people would want to work. If you know a business person, if you know somebody that works in a startup, that they'd want to work with you and help you out and, and share that knowledge. Because I think that's, instead of being possessive over it is, this is what I do and this is what you do. I think, I think part of this podcast also is like really talking about ways that we can start collaborating with each other rather than feeling we, like we have to draw these definite lines between what we actually do as people. Yeah. I know for me, my personal background being an artist, I have shifted so many times between so many things, like just as a creative professional. I mean, forget the, just go ahead and take out the term artist in, in all of this. I have been a creative professional for a really long time, longer than I would actually ever call myself an artist. Yeah. Artist has just kind of evolved as, you know, my own what I'm making creatively has shifted into my own thought process and the things that I'm like, you know, and how I'm making that term artist has kind of become, uh, I guess, a tag that has been, I can identify with a little bit more readily than like creative professional. Although I see myself, I see those things now as interchangeable. Right. Um, because, um, once, you know, earlier in my career, I was, I did, I had a graphic design business and, and I was doing freelance graphic design work to a multitude of capacities at that time. And I hated the work. <laughs> I to be honest, I really hated it. And that's what I got from a lot of people who also did graphic design work is, you know, you're basically working with people who have no idea about the creative process. They just have an idea about like some vision of perfection, um, that they want to be delivered when they're paying you for kind of a product. And, mm. you know, you're basically, you have creative license to interject like your own, like intuitive, like, uh, kind of what you, what, what you really know to be like a better, a better fitting design or like a smarter layout or concept or logo, whatever it is that you're creating. And oftentimes the client, they don't understand that. So the actual product of what you put out is totally different. And, you know, I didn't find, I found that that balance that created like this huge imbalance for me because like what it was that I wanted to create, I couldn't create because somebody else was kind of dictating what that final product looked like. Um, so yeah, so I made a shift from graphic design and then I went and decided to go back to school for fine art. Um, and I started in sculpture, had this really complicated relationship. Like I loved sculpture. It was such a huge, um, and I worked many years as a sculptor and what was it about sculpt? Cause I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but what was it about, what, what was it that drove you from graphic design to sculpture? Because those are two yeah. pretty different mediums doing pretty different things. And was it just, was that the reason like I hated it so much on the graphic design yes. side that like I went, what's the exact opposite thing I yeah. could be doing or. Well, also like. I had been doing like kind of renovation work on like houses and properties that we owned. And I really liked getting my hands dirty and like, 
every time I learned like a three-dimensional process, like I felt like really accomplished. Like I just felt like I had really like really Built a three-dimensional object. Or yeah. Like yeah. I created something yeah. from materials and, and the ideas in my head. And that was like profound thought. But then as I worked for several years doing sculpture and art, um, I really, and this also kind of reflected in my personal life, things that were going on in my personal life also affected like my artwork and what, how I was looking at things. Because when you do sculpture, sculpture requires a lot of materials. It requires a lot of physical energy. Um, and at the time in my life, I was moving every year and a half. Like we were moving every year and a half. To Sorry about from, that. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, we were like renting places, but at the same time, like when you, when your medium is sculpture, it doesn't really blend itself very well to like moving around a lot because you have to move not only your personal belongings, but your studio of tools, materials, objects, or what have you that you've already made. It becomes really tiring. Especially if you haven't sold something or if it's for an installation, it's just sitting there, you know. And I I had this complicated relationship with like once you make something, it just kind of exists. And if you don't sell it right away, like it just exists as a photograph on your website and, you know, maybe you put it in a show here and there and that's it. And But not just that's it. It it exists on a photograph on your website. But then the it, physical nature yes, of that thing it accumulates is, in your personal life, which that it, it blurs over to the personal life of like, wow, this is like, where, yeah. yeah. But so that was, that was part of it. But at the same time, I felt like I wasn't necessarily like, I mean, it was moving around a lot, but I wasn't, I was like trying to find a good balance in my life for where I was like trying, we were trying to go to. Um, and I just think the very inherent nature of that was, I felt this prompt in my own life that I just needed to have less things. And over the course of several years, I began to like take a lot of like reduce, like a minimalistic style. Yeah. Like and embrace, really embrace a minimalistic kind of life way of living my life. And that also reflected in my artwork. And that's kind of how I came upon video one way, but then the other way was that I really did feel like, (laughs) I mean, and the two kind of interplayed together, but I did feel like doing sculpture, sometimes I wanted the materials to be able to say more than I could using just physical materials. Um, and so I felt that there needed to be a shift in my artwork. Um, so yeah, I moved into video and then that kind of opened a pathway into installation. Um, and then after that, like even coming into this project, um, in my own life, I wanted to be more mobile, wanted to move to Berlin, to Germany. And when you make an international move, you can't, I literally, when we moved here, I moved with like a few suitcases, like I, nothing else. And sculpture really doesn't fit in with that. So it kind of became irrelevant to move with all of these objects, all of this stuff. So a lot of things like I either got rid of or destroyed or, you know, gave another life to by passing on to somebody who I knew would use it or repurpose it or something very similar to the late John Baldessari, but nowhere near as dramatic. Yeah, that story is actually really interesting. You know, when we were talking about um, this podcast and we were talking about some of the concepts that we wanted to touch on, 
we went back and we were looking at John Baldessari and we were looking at his cremation project. Yeah. And if you don't know about that. Um, not, maybe people know a little bit, but I think the, the story is worth telling because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Just to give you a brief synopsis, um, re- feel free by all means to read up about this. Um, on your own time, if you're interested. Yeah, we'll drop some links in our in our show notes if we can. On YouTube, yeah. Um, but John Baldessari, he was a conceptual artist that was really huge um, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, he really pushed conceptual art um, in the bounds of appropriation, um, text, and language. Um, anyway... He, before he became like really started to, before he really started to embrace being conceptual artist, he did abstract painting and there came a time in his career when he was offered a job. He was living in national city. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, it's Southern California or Nevada, New Mexico, I think New Mexico. Okay. One we'll, of those. we'll correct that if we got that wrong. Okay. I'm going to go with, <laughs> I don't know. I know it's, it's the national- same city as Tom Waits though. Just okay. Yeah. Look well, up that video online. Yes. Um, he was moving from national city to LA. He to teach at Cal arts. Yeah. But he basically, he had been an abstract painter until that point and he hadn't really been engaging in, um, painting for a number of years. However, um, he was making kind of this long distance move and he didn't feel like it was relevant to move 126 abstract paintings that he felt like was no longer relevant to his work that he was doing in that current time and the the direction he was going. And so the cremation project was actually, I mean, it, it kind of evolved pretty quickly, but he started the project trying to destroy the paintings that he did from like 19... 53. Was it 53? 53 to 66. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So he just started, like, first he thought he would run through the paintings. Which I thought was the best thing. Imagine a six foot seven man trying to run through a canvas. (laughs) Like, that was a great visual in my mind. I think so. But then not only that... um, he realized that that wasn't a realistic way to like break up his paintings. And so like he and a bunch of his students at the time were like taking like all, they were like using their like saws and hacks, knives, knives, their hands, their feet. Yeah. And they broke up all these paintings into pieces. And then, you know, the consensus was, okay, well they're still here. They still exist. Um, and so to kind of like, kind of abbreviate the story quite a bit. Like he, you know, had gathered all of these works. He finally decided that like ultimately the best way to kind of end this phase in his artistic career and kind of end in the lives of these works, um, was to have them cremated. Yes. (laughs) And he actually had a hard time finding a cream crematorium that would actually go forth with it and execute that with him. Yeah. Which is interesting. Well, I mean, you're kind of like, that's kind of sacrilege compared to like, you're cremating a body and that's what the purpose of that is. And you're taking objects, but actually the, like the owner of that crematorium that actually agreed to this, he had studied to be an artist in school. So he was sympathetic to the cause, to the cause, (laughs) as I'm sure many of you listening can also identify with. Um, So, yeah, so he cremated all these paintings. He had a plaque made in bronze that kind of signified um, 
this end of his career from 1953 to 1966. And he also had like a bronze urn made, which he kept. um, I don't think all of the ashes because there was literally like 126 of his paintings. 123. Okay. Somewhere. You know, Um, it was like nine. It was equivalent. It was equivalent to the ashes of nine full-grown adults and and a child. So nine and a half shoe boxes of of ashes. Of ashes. Just to give you an idea, there is a rumor that he baked cookies with some of them, and I don't know if that's true or not. But I've seen it on the internet. I think it's true because it's on the internet. It is true. I think that he did, but it was a few years later. So okay, you know, but you know. I I love the concept of that, regardless of whether you're an artist, a creative, a professional, whatever you want to call it, though, because I love that story because I think in a lot of ways, sometimes as people, we feel like there's a part of ourselves that has to die for something new to be reborn. Yeah. You know, and the other part that I really like about that story is it's easy now to be like, oh, well, that was a great decision. And, you know, he went, because you know, I, I read an article in The New Yorker that said um, he was tired of hearing his paintings be described as abstract expressionism. And he just wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and he found some success in National City. Like it was it was like local success and, you know, had some few write ups in, in, you know, the California area and like found like a, a general success. People really didn't support him where he was from. Right. Because it was yeah. different what he was doing. It's not like that was a, it was like an art heavy, creative heavy community, yeah. you know? And I think, I think it's really brave for people to do something different, to experiment. Because in a lot of ways, when you experiment, whether that's your medium, whether that's like your style of working or how you work, inherently you are kind of turning your back on what made you successful to some degree. And you are doing something that is a risk. So like whether that's somebody that really has already liked your work or somebody that's bought your previous work, you're taking a risk to do something completely different with no guarantee of an outcome. But you feel the impetus inside that says, I need a shift. I need to make a shift in the way in which I work for my own self. And I think that's, I don't know, I I find that fascinating and I find that empowering at the same time. As an artist, it is terrifying. Like as like, yeah, it's terrifying. And I've had a lot of debates about this, about like, oh, well, you know, do you think it's easier as an emerging artist or as an established artist? And I think it's much more difficult as an established artist to kind of start to go into new bounds um, for your work because like people would, would, you know, oftentimes when you're in a spotlight kind of situation, you've had success, people criticize what you do. And I can, I can say that if you're, you know, you can bring up a lot of examples, um, and music and pop culture, like when you make a step out of like being a certain way and you do something else, like people criticize you. They criticize the whole premise of why you did that. Yeah. I mean, um, I think Kanye West is a perfect example. Love him or hate him. I I know it's a pop culture reference. Yeah, a lot of people don't like him. But, but but I I think if you don't like him, that's fine. And, and I don't necessarily like everything he's done, but I, I do think, I think there's a difference between liking and respecting people. And I think you can respect somebody that like, if you, if you followed his early albums, like, you know, late registration and that kind of stuff, like you're, the music changed 
like his sound totally changed. It was totally experimental and you could hate it the next album, but like there's something about seeing somebody that's creative just decide that I'm going to do it just for the sake of doing it differently and do just for the sake of being a contrarian and trying to experiment with something new and see how it takes, see where it takes me creatively. Cause I feel like in today's society, we live in such a, a results oriented society that it's always about well, what did you produce? Did it make money? Did it, um, was it valuable? Was it as good as the last thing you did? But like, sometimes I feel like there are steps in between, like sometimes as an artist or as a creative or as a professional, you're not going to get to the next level immediately. You don't jump from point A to point D. Like sometimes you have to go through the experiments to get you to the next place. Yeah. But not only that, like I think how, I think when you're an artist, how you see yourself and respect your work is huge. Yeah. That's interesting because it's like, I think we've talked about and, you know, before that as an artist and as a person, you can't really separate the two. You know, you you are, I think in different professions, you feel like you can kind of be who I am professionally. And then I maybe am a different person in my personal life. But as an artist, you kind of, it's all wrapped up into one package. And it's, I think the idea of identity of like Mm -hmm. who you really are there's no separating like if your identity starts to change in your own personal life, there is no, there's a direct correlation to how that's going to affect your actual output, your work or how you work. And I, that's to me a really interesting concept. I mean, as, as an artist, like who you are is reflected in the work and what you're going through is reflected in the work. Like what you're going through in your personal life has a direct impact. I mean, Like, but also, but that's how not only your medium, but how like you present yourself to other people like P Diddy. He's a really great example of that. Yeah, no, he is somebody that's changed his name. What feels like six or seven times, but it's really interesting because if you, why has he like, I don't know. We'll see. That's really interesting because if you do the research, you realize the reason he changed his name was not, it had to do with his artistic persona. But it was more to do with his personal life because so if you're not familiar with the story, a quick abridged version is that so when he was a child, it was kind of a nickname that he got named Puffy. It was because he got angry all the time and he would huff and puff when he'd get mad, you know, like, like a kid would. And then, you know, just how nicknames happen, they just stick. And then he embraced in like the 1990s, he embraced Puff Daddy, you know, and then that was his persona is like Puffy and Puff Daddy. And then. When it got into the early 2000s, there was a couple like personal incidents. There was like one in a nightclub that it's pretty infamous. Um, I think the time he was dating Jennifer Lopez and. But he didn't do anything with his entourage. It was, it was like, yeah, there was a shooting involved and he at the time was going to court and overall he was acquitted. Um, but when he was after the trial and after he was acquitted, you know, he felt like. And, and I can only imagine, you know, going through your own, now I haven't been acquitted of any shooting or crimes. I just want to go ahead and clear that up, but I can imagine in my own life, I just wanted to make sure that nobody else thought that, um, you know, in my own life, I've gone through my own personal transformations, you know, and you don't feel like, you feel like the version of you that was a year or two ago is like not even the same person as who you are now, you know? And so in his own life, he went to P Diddy 
the reason, and it may sound like a slight change, but, and then obviously it moved from P Diddy to Diddy, um, because he had, that name change is actually great, because he said in the crowd, when he would have a concert, that half the crowd would be chanting P Diddy, and half it would be chanting Diddy, and he's like, I needed it to not be that way, I needed, there needed to be a constant <laughs> chant. So you he know. dropped the P. He dropped the P. But the reason he changed to P Diddy is that in his own life, he felt like there was a personal transformation that he was not the same person he was two and three years ago and that he needed something even in his own life to demonstrate that. But that bled into his actual artistic career. And I find that I find that just it's so fascinating and it just illustrates how like you are not you can't separate the artist and the life like it, it, they really are tied together. And I, I don't know. Well, another example that kind of make it's coming to mind for this is also Prince. Oh yeah. The Prince and well, Prince and the artist formerly known. known as Prince. And um that that's an interesting story too. Like that um that he would call himself that, right? Well, his his first given name is Prince. That was actually his name at birth was Prince that's, Nelson. That's crazy. That's funny. His, his middle friend's Nelson. Yeah. That's great. Um, and he had like, I mean, he was successful from like the late seventies and Prince actually was one of the art, like Prince was a very productive artist in terms of the output of his work. Mm. He produced an album every single year. Some years he would produce two albums. I think there was like one year he produced three albums in his career. Um, but kind of earlier in, like the kind of late seventies, eighties, and into the nineties, you know, he his like actually Warner Brothers had trademarked his name. Yeah, like the artist can do this, like in the contract. No, they right? had a like, trademark on his the uh, trademark on the music produced by Prince. Think about that. That everything that was produced under on him under the name of Prince, yeah. and he was producing so much content, so much music. Um, that he felt that he wasn't able to produce as much music and he felt really limited by Warner Brothers and then putting the kind of those marketing constraints on him. Like, no, this is like an oversaturation. You don't need to be putting out that many albums, especially under our label. So, um, kind of, he kind of wanted to fuck with them a little bit. Yeah. He put like he was tired of the control over his own creative process and distribution of his own work. I mean, it's stifling if you have like if you have somebody who's telling you you can't produce this, like you can't put this out in the world for people. That's telling huge. an artist or a creator that. Yeah. So he had already had an album that he came up with this symbol for. Um, he came to him in a meditation, which he was like said. a hybrid between the male and the female. Yeah, but it was also for him like a love symbol. Right. Um, But he had this symbol made for a previous album, and then he changed his actual name from Prince to this symbol. And he actually had produced an album that was him in front of um, a church in Spain. Yeah, Yeah, in Spain. And it had his... Um, had his birth date and then hit the date that he was kind of ending using his name as Prince. Um, and then, so he changed his name to this symbol to kind of fuck with Warner brothers. 
Um, which it did definitely because they were like, Oh, well, what are we supposed to do with this? And so they had to send out to everybody who was like media outlets that would want to write about the media Prince. didn't know how to, how to like, I'm mean, trying to write. Yeah. There was, there was no way to pronounce this symbol. It's a symbol. And so that's a lot of the media took that symbol and they just kind of turned that into, okay, well, we're going to call him the artist formerly known as Prince. And that's how that stuck. Um, but he, for the duration from, I think it was like 93 to 2000 for seven, the last seven years of his contract with Warner brothers. Um, there was times when he would perform with like the word slave written on his face. And, um, he had changed his name during those seven years to this symbol. And, um, but then after his contract ended, he went back to going to Prince because he kind of felt like he wasn't owned. He wanted, he wasn't owned anymore. And he wanted to go back to his original name. However, in interviews, he does say that he changed his name to a symbol to kind of elevate the place of, in his career that he wanted to be at. And I think the, cause I, I think both the example with Puff Daddy and with Prince, they illustrate somebody like going through something in their own personal lives and professional lives where it like, they're kind of, they're questioning their own identity and it, and it affects the work. But I think also, I think the underlying concept behind kind of all of the things that we're talking about is this idea of one, not being satisfied with the status quo and experimentation, experimentation to not do the same things that you've been doing. Cause I think the interesting thing about Prince is that at the time when he changed his name, and then you can also think about the John Baldessari example, it's yeah. really easy now because everything's different in history, right? You, everybody in like at the time, I'll just give another example, Muhammad Ali, people love Muhammad Ali now. They didn't like him so much at the time. When history changes, you look back on people in a more favorable fashion, but uh, Prince's album sales went down. It really was detrimental at the time for his own career. John mm-hmm. Baldessari, there's no way to know that you were going to be, that he would move to LA and his like new conceptual work would blow up and he'd become who he is today. Like there's no way to know those things. Like it's easy to say that now is my point. And that in the time it took them. I mean, it was what they needed at the time for, exactly. for, but they had, you know, there was a multitude of reasons. And I think that that's relevant today for so many artists and so many creatives is that you know, you need for what, whatever reason, whether that's money, whether that's a lifestyle change that like is happening or you're going through, you have to make changes and you have to be, you have to be shifting. Um, and it doesn't mean it's like the end all be all. It's just the thing you have to do at that point in your, in your life or your career. It's like whatever your career needs at any time. It's the same as changing your job. Yeah. And And I think the big thing is, is like, I think we all have a responsibility as creators and professionals to cultivate like a space of experimentation and of change. Because I think the reason people don't change is they, they feel judged. They feel like it's fear of failure. Fear of failure is a, that's absolutely a huge one, you know? And I feel like the more that we can help and you can collaborate with people and you can reach out to people that are in the spaces that you want to work with. And then if you're one of those people in one of those spaces to like, to not feel like you can't help other people. Cause I think that's, you know, I I don't know. I, I guess I can speak from my own experience now and that like, I'll reach out to you or I'll reach out to other people I know that are, that have more creative and artistic experience than myself. 
And I, I feel like uh, there's a lot of people that are really supportive, you know, that yeah. are really helpful. But I also think there's a, there's a natural competitive cutthroat um, mindset that also people have that like, well, you can't take any of what I've already carved out for myself. And I yeah, think that really exists. I mean, I talk to a lot of people, um, a lot of freelancers who like, I've been doing this for 20 years, like you, and they've had to build, they've had to work really hard for that. And, you know, especially moving to a new city, you know, people, a lot of people ask me like, what's your background? And I'll say, you know, fine art. And they immediately judge me. And I am, I am not one to like step back and like be judged. I will call them out on it and be like, in your point, what's your, what's your problem with fine artists? Like, and they're like, Oh, they're too meticulous. And I'm like, the world needs meticulous people, maybe not on every project, but you shouldn't like judge a whole group of people based on your own experience with the generality of like knowing one or two or like a handful of people. Like you really, I think it's really important to keep an open mind with, and, and as a creative, as a creative professional, it's just really important to keep an open mind and keep all these kind of things in perspective because like doing something different, like, is hard, but it doesn't like when you're a creative professional, yeah, you do have a tendency to pick up on things pretty quickly. Um, but it really doesn't have to be this continual, like cutthroat fighting other people for the next opportunity. Everybody's applying for the same job. Everybody's trying to fight hard to get work. And honestly, that's the premise of this programming. Yeah. And I think like for, I think for us, and I, I think, it's a new way of thinking. And yeah. that, I think that's the biggest thing. And it's not saying like, oh, we're, br-. no, I think we've had to develop our own new way of thinking to, because I, I think sometimes the way traditionally you think about jobs and professions and what you're going to do, it's limiting. It's disempowering. It's, yeah. it's to think that you have to work for somebody else or that somebody else, all the galleries or all the organizations or all the companies, they own all the opportunities and there's only a finite number of them and we're all fighting for them. When in reality... On some extent, that might be that, true. That, absolutely. I'm not saying that that's not... You're absolutely right. That there is... For those opportunities, that is the case. That if that's what you want to do, then you are you know, you're kind of having to be competitive, but at the same time, the internet has, has changed things. And, you know, like for instance, instead of thinking that you can't collaborate and help somebody else, you can develop a workshop, you can develop online classes, you can go on Udemy and you can create your own courses. You know, like you, even if you're a painter, if you do something different, like somebody, other people look at painters and like, how the hell do you do that? How the hell do you draw that way? How the hell do you do these things? And that's the great thing about what just some of these new applications and technology and software has done is that even for artists and creatives, there are, and I think we'll get into these on future podcasts, there are more ways to not just be successful as a creative, but there's more ways to actually help other people and be successful. Yeah. And I think you know, kind of going into my own kind of story and and reason for doing this project and kind of the shift into this, the, one of the things that like really started me on this path of thinking was looking to YouTube Hmm. and looking at the community of creators and people who were calling themselves artists who I wouldn't traditionally from my own background see as an artist. However, like their spouses are calling them artists. They call themselves artists 
And I really began to have an appreciation for like what I really thought an artist was. An artist was somebody who is innovative in their career and, you know, kind of like works in a creative realm. And I was watching all of these people, all of these creators on YouTube with backgrounds very similar to my own, start their own channel. And they have built up success over some time. But not only that, they are forming their own community there. And that was really inspiring to me that like, I can help you, you can help me, like we can help each other and we can both be successful and we can both exist. It doesn't have to be this, like I got into this show or, you know, like it doesn't, I got this job. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be that we can all be successful. We can all coexist and we can all help each other out. And that's the shift that I'm really looking to for the kind of the foundation of thinking about this kind of platform is that, you know, I'm looking to work with artists to like to help them to spread the word about what they're doing in their work and the thing that we create together as a collaboration via the podcast and the artist video. It it does something for the people watching. Yeah. And it, it does it does something for the like a larger collective of people who who need to hear like kind of the stories that either are kind of encompassing like the reasons why the artist makes the work or how they got into art, something in there is going to inspire somebody and help somebody. And I think that that collaborative nature, that collaborative thinking is, is really important to embrace it right now. Yeah. It goes back to the mindset because I think there are those two levels of collaboration that you mentioned is like the the one-on-one collaboration. So, you know, if, if you're an artist and we're working with you with the art shift and we're working with an artist, that's the one-on-one collaboration that, you know, I think is really powerful because you don't know when you put two creatives or three creatives, a few creatives together, what's going to come out. But then I, I think that, um, the, even the, the part that's even more interesting to me beyond just that is what you just talked about, which is the collective the yeah. community because like so like for instance if you go on youtube um you'll see artists that work together collaborators creators whatever you call them and we are definitely gonna have a podcast where we talk a little bit more about creator artists and youtube i think there's a lot to talk about I there i think we also have some guests that are coming for sure because i think confirm that before i tell you about them but yes yes yeah, because i think there's a there's a lot of other artists and creators that are kind of looking at each other and kind of analyzing all of this these this new media that's happening right now But I think you see these creators working together. And then it's funny because you have a a bunch of smaller creators, too, that are building their own communities because of those collaborations. Like big creators on YouTube lead to communities of smaller creators starting to work together. And it's like all of a sudden you're, you know, it was like um, after the John Baldessari cremation project. And I hadn't told you this, but I'm, I'm just thinking this out loud after it. They said, you know, after his cremation project that, you know, the project was not just as much practical, which we kind of talked about, but was therapeutic. And then after the project, it was like the next day he he did he wrote he did like an, another entire project. He wrote like 39 journal entries and each journal entry was something about like a new potential project or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a new yeah. potential project. And or each and one of them was um <laughs> combining all of the world's painting into one large painting. And I laughed at that when I first saw it. It was just this idea, right? But if you kind of think about it, that is video. 
And that is YouTube in a lot of ways. And that's, and I, and maybe that's where we start to kind of wrap today's up is that, is that, you know, some of these grand ideas that we think could never happen and are not possible, they're only not possible because of like the way we mentally approach something. But like when he said that, like one large painting, there's a combination of all of the paintings in the world. That's like, it's like in a lot of ways, video has become like a new media format of painting. And to see communities of people, um, to see communities of people really working together to combine what they're doing. And, and now hopefully we, you start to see that expanding beyond just, you know, the new media formats. And, and we start to see that with combining cl classical media and, and new media together. And I think that's, we're really interested in just, I'll use a big word here, the amalgamation of all of that, of really combining all of these different medias together and all these different artists together to kind of see what comes out. Yeah. So I think that's a good stopping point for today. Yeah. No, I think this is a good ending point. Yeah. So uh, as a reminder, though, if you uh, are listening on iTunes, subscribe to us, um, give us a rating. We prefer like a higher star rating than a lower star rating. Uh, iTunes, my camera stopped recording. If you're listening on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever, uh, we're on all of the audio platforms. Um, like us, subscribe, um, and we will... Um, our next podcast will be featuring um, kind of an artist that we are excited to bring on the show. Should we tell the audience who the artist is? They're just going to have to wait and find it's out. It's a cliffhanger. That is rough for you guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you, if you can. If you have downloaded the Anchor app, leave us a voicemail. Leave us a message. If you don't want to do that, leave us a message on YouTube. If you have any questions or if you just want to contribute to the conversation, which I think for us is really what we're looking for also. Yeah, drop us a note and um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.